This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health, lifestyle. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast. Show about food, lifestyle, medicine, and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor, I study nutrition, and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best life. Hey, it's just Rupee here today. Uh, I'm going to be taking over the podcast and talking to you guys about everything to do with skin food and skin in general, actually. We're going to do a bit of a refresher. And uh, this is the start of a number of different episodes that I want to do solo to go over some of the studies that we used to create recipes for the six health goals that you'll find on the Doctor's Kitchen app. You'll find the link to the app at the top of the show notes of this episode, wherever you're listening. And over the next couple of months, we're gonna be talking about each individual health goal, skin health, mental health, brain health, inflammation, heart health, and general well-being. And I wanna give you a behind the scenes look at how we created our simple but smart algorithm. It's gonna be a bit of a refresher as well for some of you who are avid listeners of the Doctor's Kitchen podcast because we've talked about these individual subjects in the past, but I think this series of episodes is gonna be a lovely way to tie everything together. Um, and so let's start off with the skin. So today's deep dive is gonna be all to do with the skin. And forgive me if the initial part of this pod is a bit too basic, but I think even for people who know what I'm talking about. I think it's important to get the fundamentals right, to give you an understanding of the organ that we're talking about, and then bring in the nutritional medicine and lifestyle components. So let's dive into everything skin-related. I'll give you a summary of what we're gonna be chatting about, and uh, I'd love your comments on these as well, because you know you don't have to download the app to benefit from this episode. That's not what this is about. It's giving you 
a behind the scenes look at why this is very different to any other apps that you'll find out there and how you can use this information to make recipes yourself with skin in mind and also how it's very very much tied to all the other health goals as well so we're going to go back to the fundamentals and talk about what the skin is why healthy skin matters for everyone not just people who have common skin problems uh, and what happens when skin dysfunction occurs and what the what the uh, drivers behind that might be hopefully after listening to to the pod you'll have a better understanding of how what we eat affects the skin and the connection between the gut and skin health we've talked about that on previous episodes briefly as well and i want to give you a bit of an idea about the potential mechanisms behind the gut skin axis this should be reinforcing two previous episodes on skin health and suggestions in other episodes as well, namely the episodes on eczema and another one where we talked about collagen, acne and supplements. We're not talking specifically about collagen in this episode because I think that probably requires its own uh, episode itself. But we did talk at length about collagen in a previous episode if you are interested in specific supplements like that as well. We're going to be diving into some of the research papers looking at dietary patterns linked to skin health. So what pattern of eating, uh, specific nutrients linked to the skin, whole foods, and what limits nutritional research. Because I think it's very important to be transparent about the limitations of how much we can draw from the available research that we have access to. Um, And this is essentially the the skeleton the building blocks of how we created our algorithm in the first place and how we refine what recipes you see on the app according to uh, everything we're we're talking about today hopefully you you'll get some practical tips to easily translate this knowledge into everyday life and uh, and like i said you know we're going to be talking about how we use this information to create recipes in the app but also after listening to this i hope you're reassured that the recipes uh, on the app are using this evidence-based eating principle approach, uh, as well as some ingredients that you can think of yourselves to create flavorful and practical recipes. Uh, if you if you like that um, that exercise of creating recipes yourself, so yeah, hope, and hopefully we're going to be bringing a bit more of this rich content to the app as well so at the moment everything is sort of hidden behind the recipes and the filters but we are working on ways to create short bite-sized bits of content so you don't have to listen to me for an hour or whatever however long this podcast is going to be um explaining all the nuance to everything they're going to be short sharp almost like quick cards that you can refer to i'm like ah that's what i can put in my shopping basket or this is how i can try and get more of these categories of ingredients into my into my diet we're also doing a new thing on the podcast which is our podcast recipe of the week a recipe that reflects the topic of conversation on the podcast from the app this week's which is going to be reflecting skin health is the courgette korma it's got a wonderful mix of base flavors in onion garlic and ginger we've got wonderful spices like turmeric and cinnamon stick in there as well and garam masala and it's got a base of almonds plus it's got some yogurt in there you can use a non-dairy yogurt as well one that has probiotics preferentially added to it 
Um, but that kind of brings in together so many different elements of what we're talking about. And hopefully that will make sense at the end of this podcast as well. It's got a whole bunch of greens in there too. So that is the Courgette Corma. You can find that on the Doctor's Kitchen app and you'll find it on the newsletter as well if you're a subscriber for free too. Oh, and I should say that all the um, links to the newsletter and the website and the recipe that'll be on the newsletter for free and all the rest of it, and all the links for that are in the bottom of the podcast show notes description. So you'll find all the links there. Okay, fine. Let's uh, let's dive in uh, into this first episode looking at why our health filter function uh, can tailor choices according to your needs and reduces that stress of having to decide what to eat using Google and then how to make all the recipes using the healthy ingredients that are being suggested to you as well as you know why this is an evidence-based approach before we start i do want to give a shout out to the research team for helping me compile all this information it would not have been possible without the network of collaborators uh, that we have at the doctor's kitchen and uh, of course the scientists around the world who have conducted the primary research that we've used to further our collective knowledge. I think it's a really important um, shout out because uh, without any of this, um, it's just you know us trying to figure things out. And, and luckily we have access to a wide range of information as well. And then people who are pushing the subject of nutritional medicine uh, forward. All right, so let's start off. Uh, what is skin? What is skin? One of the largest or largest, the largest organ of our body, um, the surface area of about two meters and a mass equal to around 15% of your total body mass. It's made of two main layers, uh, your epidermis, the upper layer, which is responsible for many of the barrier functions of skin. Um, there's a number of different cells that make up the epidermis. The, 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 they're mar largely made up of uh, keratinocytes. Um, and the dermis, uh, which is underneath, and there's there's a structural and nutritive components of the dermis, and, and they have essentially like your backup support underneath the epidermis. They house blood vessels, nerve endings, hair follicles, and glands, and they make up the skin, which is exceptionally essential for uh, the normal functioning of our body. It protects our bodies from external stresses, they regulate body temperature, it holds fluids in, of course, and your skin is constantly exposed to a variety of external stresses, um, environmental stresses, infections, heat, cold, chemical irritants, things like car emissions, household cleaners, uh, radiation, and other compounds. It's, it, you know, your, your skin has to be particularly resilient. So in the absence of a condition, it's exceptionally important to make sure that you are eating according to what your skin needs are as well. And we're very good at that. Um, essentially, the whole concept of eating for or a health goal is to maintain this concept of homeostasis, which is balance and consistency necessary for good functioning and health. Um, I've already alluded to this. So the, the second question is really, all right, why is healthy skin important for everyone? It's not just important for people with skin conditions. It's essential for general health to essentially perform all those different functions that we've been talking about. Um, protection from external triggers, uh, such as microorganisms and radiation, I think is a subject um, that's going to get a lot more attention because we are increasingly 
exposed to uh, a, I, I, I hasten to use the word, but a toxic world. Now, I know the more we find out about what the potential harms are in our environment, it can trigger anxiety and health anxiety. Before we, we go into you know, more nuanced uh, discussion, I, I just want to remind people about just how resilient your bodies are. Um, we are exceptional detoxifying machines with uh, an, an amazingly resilient uh, body, uh, internal ecosystem, external ecosystem. We, you know, we don't have to worry about these things too much. However, having an idea of how your organs work and what needs they have and how we can better support that I think is important as well so just bear that in mind it's not that you if you don't eat according to this way then your skin's going to fall off it's nothing you know as drastic as that the other uh, important functions for skin apart from uh, barrier function and, and protection um, is regulating water content insulation uh, through things like well controlling body temperatures through things like sweating uh, and diversion of your uh, blood vessels um, away and to your skin as well again for for the purposes of heat regulation vitamin d production very very important um, and also not to forget the psychological effect as well skin appearance is what we present to the world so having a skin that is as healthy as possible, I think in society is it's, it's important. Um, and I think it's important for a lot of people as well. Um, good, all right. So uh, let, let's go into what damages the skin. Um, so we just, we mentioned solar ultraviolet radiations. Um, it comes from the sun, penetrates our skin cells. It's absorbed by uh, different cells. And essentially what, radiation does is promote oxidation reactions it generates reactive oxygen species uh, something that you're going to hear about a, a lot more during this episode as well um, it occurs in moderate amounts um, because we have our own antioxidant systems in the skin to combat the the reactive oxygen species that are produced and repair the damage to proteins that it can cause as well um, in excessive amounts, this can overwhelm these defenses and lead to permanent damage or photo damage. And that's what you can see from um, years and years of exposure to uh, too much light or uh, not, uh, or being in an area around the, uh, around the world that doesn't have as much protection uh, via the atmosphere uh, due to holes in the ozone layer, et cetera. Um, and that can lead to premature aging of the skin. So it's if you get this um, idea of like a seesaw in your head, on one side you have uh, your defense systems, on the other side you have those uh, piling on damages from reactive oxygen species. And you actually want to get balance. You don't want to remove everything uh, in terms of the reactive oxygen species because those actually create cell signaling and cell cellular adaptive responses, i.e., a little bit of damage does you some good because it keeps you a bit more resilient. Um, this concept of hormesis, um, but if you if you have too much, it can overwhelm it, and that's what can lead to dysfunction of your skin as well. Uh, other obvious things that would damage the skin, things like pollutants, skin injuries, and other chemicals as well. All right, so what happens? What okay? What actually happens when the skin is damaged or doesn't function properly? I've just explained how you have that that seesaw. You have excess damage 
um, what 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 happens at you know the the the, uh, the level and what kind of things does it uh, associate itself with in terms of what are the conditions? So, dry skin. Um, dry skin is more susceptible to skin diseases and prone to things like redness, itchiness, and flakiness and irritation. When you when you do have damaged skin for whatever reason, it can alter the skin permeability as well. This can also lead to skin laxity and wrinkles. And this is where everyone's ears tend to prick up whenever I talk about wrinkles in, in presentations and all that kind of stuff. Everyone always asks me about it. So the skin laxity and wrinkles uh, is when the skin loses its firmness and structure. And there are actually ways that we discussed in a previous podcast about how there is a uh, more objective way of measuring wrinkles rather than the subjective way, which is most people looking in the mirror and, and saying to themselves, I've got more wrinkles or or whatever, and making that sort of, um, that, that opinion of themselves. Um, so it's where it loses its firmness and structure and becomes loose and starts to drop. And it's caused by poor support of the epidermis uh, uh, and the underlying dermis. Lower collagen levels, that's, that's quite well recognized, which is why there is a... Um, a, uh, a pervasive sort of belief that if you ingest collagen, then it can improve your collagen levels. Again, the mechanisms behind that uh, are a bit shaky, and I think we have to learn a bit more about whether that's true or not. Um, reduced vascularization, which reduces the nutrient uptake to the skin. So all the and all these different mechanisms coalesce to to create issues with with the skin itself. Nutrition and nutritional factors a thought to help um, beyond promoting collagen production, um, antioxidant activity, which is something that we can increase uh, with what we ingest, uh, a thought to improve uh, skin aging, um, maybe not reverse skin aging, but certainly improve uh, its degradation. So, um, or slow its degradation. So yeah, the, the, we'll talk a bit about the mechanisms a bit later. And the other things that can happen when skin is damaged or doesn't function properly are things like acne and dermatitis which is a dry irritated inflamed skin as well and there may be links uh, with the gut uh, with that as well so um we'll, we'll talk a bit about the innate skin protection mechanisms because i think this is this is probably most important um as as it pertains to the first bit of this podcast because rather than uh, relying on external ingredients i.e. your your diet and what you can put on the skin to improve the skin your skin looks after itself in many different ways so they they your skin cells keep reactive oxygen species a product of of normal metabolism as well as exposure to harmful um, radiation they, it keeps it within normal range by employing antioxidant molecules and you already have intrinsic antioxidant uh, processes to, to to balance this but when the excess of these molecules uh, overwhelms the the defense systems that's where you get dysfunction the skin cells repair those minor injuries that occur every day because of exposures to our, our exposome if you like our exposome is basically the collection of all the different um, things that we're exposed to via chemicals environmental pollutants radiation uh, and more um, by actually secreting pro-inflammatory chemicals so pro-inflammatory chemicals from your immune system. What that does is that it signals the alarm. It recruits immune cells to the area, which is how you actually get repaired. So it sounds a bit counterintuitive that you, you've got injured skin 
and you're secreting molecules that actually would create an excess of inflammation further, but actually that mechanism leads to more recruitment of the immune cells, which is actually how you repair injuries as well. Um, and the way the inflammatory response is overly activated is because you have things like persistence of these pro-inflammatory chemicals, also called cytokines. You get dysregulation of the proteins because they, they, they can disrupt protein, um, proteins in, in your cells. And then that leads to chronic inflammation. So it's not inflammation per se, it's the imbalance and the persistence of inflammation that can lead to various skin diseases too. Um, so hopefully all those different mechanisms that I've described give you an idea of what is important for skin health. And in a word, it's balance. It's balance between all those different mechanisms. It's balance between your immune cell activation. It's making sure that you're uh, not damaged too much. And uh, we're going to talk about why diet can help with that as well. So what I would argue um, food is one of the modifiable factors that we all have access to when it comes to protecting our skin. Um, one of the most effective modifiable factors, I should say. Um, so if you think about food, let's think about it uh, according to two different streams. So when you consume food, it's digested and absorbed into the bloodstream. And that's how it acts on various cells and tissues in our body. The other way is if it's undigested and it pass, passes on through the gut and feeds the community of bacteria. Well, I shouldn't say bacteria, it's, it's microbes, but let's say for, for um, this sake, it's uh, the bacteria that reside mostly in the large intestine. So if you think about those two sort of pathways, we can split it off in our mind and we can talk about um, uh, both of them in turn. Um, how these food components affect the skin, the nutrients from our diet can act on various mechanisms to protect the skin and ensure it repairs to counter damages and promote skin health, reducing skin disease. So let's look at those two different pathways in turn. We're gonna start off with the gut. It's, you know, it, it's the root of a lot of why food can have such a drastic impact uh, on health in general, um, as well as the other mechanisms. But we're gonna start off by looking at the gut. The main way, is by balancing your gut micropopulation. Um, how and what we eat shapes the composition of this collection of microbes in the gut. Uh, and collectively, this, this sort of mechanism is, is described as the gut-skin axis. So let's, let's do a bit of a refresher of uh, one particular attribute of food, which is Fiber. Fiber is a type of complex carbohydrate. So yes, it is a carbohydrate. I know carbs in general have been demonized. And I think the way we talk about carbs probably needs to change because that's why you might notice me always saying it's the excess of refined carbohydrates or sugar. And although those are all carbohydrates, not all carbohydrates are the same. So fiber is a type of complex carbohydrate that you find in whole grains, beans, nuts, legumes, fruits, vegetables. It's not digested. Um, and we used to think of it as just roughage and material to almost like push things through. I remember actually being in med school when I was thinking about roughage in that way. And they had like a, an image of a, uh, I think it was chicory or asparagus or something like that. And I just thought of it as like a tractor that just pushes things through your immensely long digestive tract. 
But um, it's not that at all. We've 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 had really warped thinking about roughage in general. Uh, roughage, I, I don't use that word anymore. Um, instead, what happens is that it's it's fermented by uh, microbes in the large intestine, and this is turned uh, or metabolized into products that balance the gut environment, including uh, most well known the short chain fatty acids, things like butyrate, uh, propionate, and acetate. Those are the three main ones, and those have various roles in the in the colon. They nourish your colonic cells. They're involved in um, your immune system, uh, energy for your cells. Um, we'll get onto that in a sec. So our diet is an important contributor to the composition of the gut microbiome, um, and there is a theory called the diet microbiome theory or a hypothesis. That suggests that the increased prevalence of allergic disease, we've talked about this in, on the allergy podcast, um, but the increased prevalence of allergy, including skin conditions, is in part caused by low fiber and high fat concentrations of our diet, characteristic of the Western diet, which ultimately leads to changing the gut microbiota, uh, to one of uh, one that is imbalanced, um, so there's less diversity in the number of different types of microbes you have, uh, and the fancy word for this is dysbiosis, which is another way of describing an imbalance, uh, and it also refers to potentially a higher proportion of uh, what is col colloquially known as bad bacteria, but I don't think it's particularly accurate because sometimes the quote-unquote bad bacteria is actually doing some good. Um, but let's just say there's there's uh, a more pathogenic uh, bacteria, so things that are disease causing, um, and that leads to a deficiency in the production of um, your immune cells that are creating balance, a uh, a reduction in the short chain fatty acids that have important roles in the gut. Um, there's also evidence to show that the ratio of specific uh, microbes, mostly firmicutes and uh, bacteroides, uh, can lead to this Im impairment of the maintenance of your um, your gut cell function, um, which can lead to intestinal uh, permeability or hyperpermeability, also colloquially known as leaky gut. And then you have your impaired gut function. To it. So th that's the a very basic cascade of what can happen if you don't have a, a, a healthy diet to support normal gut health. The good thing about that, I know I've just painted a picture which is pretty dire of people who might have low fiber diets um, or who have eaten a certain way that might be classed as a westernized type of diet for a long period of time. Your gut is really responsive. So the microbiota in the human gut can respond rapidly to changes in the diet, um, and the, these you know, the populations of your of the, the population of microbes can double within an hour, and the gut can purge the community or does purge the community every 24 or 48 hours. So that should give you an idea of just how effective dietary change can be and how rapidly effective it can be as well. Um, and th this is supported from evidence uh, from, from people who switch diets. I don't recommend making drastic changes um, over such short periods of time. I think it's much more sustainable 
to to make these changes uh, over weeks and weeks rather than hours or, or days um, because the shift in composition can, it can be really noticeable as well. But that I think that just as an aside, I think that shows just the power uh, and the rapidity at which we can create change using uh, dietary interventions. Um, and over the long term, dietary habits are a dominant force in determining the composition of an individual's microbiota. Early life also has a role in gut health, but you know that, that we'll save that for another pod. Um, and I don't think it's uh, as attributable to today's podcast, unless you know you have children who might have eczema. There are ways in which to introduce a variety into one's diet. Obviously, under this you know, suggestion of your uh, uh, doctor and your physician and even nutritionist, if you're lucky to have one, um, with, with the with the objection with the uh, aim of of improving skin conditions if they have an allergic component i think those are quite effective um so let's talk about how your gut microbiome your gut environment your gut microbiota affects the skin so the connections so if you think about this diagram we've gone down the um the gut root we're leaving the the chemicals in our bloodstream for a little bit later and then within the gut root you have direct and indirect routes to the skin. Uh, and as mentioned, and as referred to as the, as the skin gut exit, well, actually it can be, that there's, there's a, a more popular term that's going round the rounds at the moment. It's the microbiota gut skin axis. So actually it's more about, okay, how do you eat to impact your microbes? How do your microbes interact with the gut? How does your gut interact with the skin? And that's the axis that we're talking about. But I mean, it's all like semantics really, because you could call it the microbiota, gut, bloodstream, skin axis, because that, you know, obviously has to go through the bloodstream before that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, there's numerous studies that link the, your, your digestive system to skin functioning. Indirect route is by modulating our favorite word, inflammation. Inflammation, if you read my second book, you'll, you'll know that. It's, it's very misunderstood, I think, as a term. I've actually done a podcast all about inflammation with a colleague of mine who's an immunologist. So if you want a refresher about how to conceptualize inflammation, I highly recommend you go and listen to that podcast, um, Eating for Inflammation. But it, inflammation in itself is, when we talk about inflammation, we're talking at a, about it at a cellular level and in also in the gut ecosystem as well. Microbes influence the integrity of your intestinal barrier. So like we said, your microbes metabolize this ingested food. It goes into essential compounds like short chain fatty acids. And then when we refer to this intestinal barrier, what we're referring to is the connection between your gut epithelial skill at cells, also known as tight junction. So if you think about uh, going into a microscope, you're in your gut and you look at the wall of the gut and you you zoom in, zoom in, zoom in so to, until you get to the, the, the smallest area uh, that is between the inside of your gut and then you have your the cells and then you have your bloodstream. It's one cell thick. It's, it's a very, very uh, small connection. And the reason why is because you're absorbing so much from your gut. And these, these spaces in between these cells, if your gut lining is cell thick, the spaces in between them are called tight junctions. 
and they have to uh, function appropriately uh, so such that they can absorb what should be going into the bloodstream and not absorb what shouldn't be going into the bloodstream. And the way these uh, work is, it's well, actually, before we talk about that, I just want to say that um, it, it is referred to as leaky gut and intestinal hyperpermeability when there is too much of a gap or the gap is prolonged. But you do need to understand that it is normal for the gut to absorb nutrients via these channels. But the loss of balance between absorbing and uh, not absorbing enough or absorbing too much influences whether the contents in your gut can absorb toxins and inappropriate bacteria from the gut into the bloodstream. And what happens when that when that occurs is an excessive trigger to your immune response, which causes systemic inflammation. So if, if I just reverse gear for a second, um, so you have products in your gut and you have products in your bloodstream. What, what determines what goes into the bloodstream are your epithelial cells, your intestinal barrier. In between your cells, you have those tight junctions. Everything works in harmony when there's an appropriate uh, uh, system of communication and there's an appropriate amount of what should be going into the bloodstream from the gut via these channels. Too much of acceptance, if you like, of all those different products that should be in the gut going to the bloodstream can trigger uh, inflammation. And that's essentially how your, your gut modulates inflammation. And if there is too much, you get an immune activity that immune systemic inflammation can travel obviously around the bloodstream. If you think about anything that goes into the bloodstream, it's a hyperconnection that connects with every element of your body, which is why you can get some very, very vague symptoms that are associated with gut dysfunction. Um, and and the, I mean, the, 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 the best connection we have with the outside world is via our gut as well, which is why a lot of people are now coming around to the idea of the gut being a central part of where we should be focusing our efforts when it comes to diagnosing uh, issues that might you know, you wouldn't you know necessarily think of as having a role um, uh, with the gut. It's funny because um, within Ayurvedic practice, and I believe other traditional forms of medicine that there's been a focus on the gut for millennia, and um, we're just coming around to this idea within you know modern science and using modern techniques that um yeah they've been pretty right all along so uh it's it's interesting looking at this through the lens of what the current research says but also through the lens of uh what my ancestors and what my family tell me uh so yeah that that's uh, just a uh an aside that's described as the indirect route this is basically how gut cells cause, uh, well, the, the gut can modulate inflammation. Um, although in my mind, it's, you know, you can understand how it can be a relatively direct route as well. But anyway, that's the indirect route. The more direct route is really interesting. So there is a suggestion that gut bacteria and the metabolites can gain direct access to the skin. So gut bacteria and the metabolites, i.e. the substances that they produce as a product of fermentation, may enter the bloodstream and potentially travel to the skin, accumulate in the skin, impair 
epidermal differentiation. So that's basically how the dermal, uh, the epidermal layer can can um, uh, create different types of cells with different functions and directly impact their skin barrier integrity and disrupt the beautiful homeostasis of your skin cells. This, this when I found first found out about this, this kind of blew my mind. Um, the fact that you can have bacteria traveling around uh, the the bloodstream and actually directly impacting um, skin cells. So th- there's a, there is a bit of evidence for this. It's still sort of um, a, well, if you like a theory, but there, there is some there is some evidence. So molecules produced by the bacteria, these metabolites, can access the circulation and affect distant sites. One of which is just is the skin. There there is evidence for potentially these metabolites impacting uh, different areas as well. Um, so to understand this, uh, I think it's important to just revisit the metabolites of gut bacterial fermentation. So we talked about short chain fatty acids. There, there are some metabolites produced by the gut bacteria that are thought to have negative effects as well. Uh, they're regarded as bioactive toxins. And a couple of these, uh, as described in this paper, are called phenol and p-cresol. These are metabolites of uh, aromatic amino acids produced by gut bacteria. So they're thought to indicate uh, a disturbed gut environment. And you can measure these these as biomarkers in the serum. Um, There is some evidence in vitro, so that's where you look at cells in the lab, um, that they accumulate in skin cells and they reduce the expression of certain building blocks of skin, which is shown to disturb, you know, that, that lovely uh, balance of skin uh, cell turnover, which is where you know, skin cells die and they're removed and they're replaced quite quite quickly and nicely. So they they can disturb that sort of process of balancing skin and, and obviously its normal protective mechanism, uh, normal protective functions. There's animal evidence that the phenols, so these bioactive toxins. Uh, produced by gut bacteria can accumulate in the skin via the circulation and again disrupt these skin cells in their in their normal mechanisms of of self uh, protection and uh, self renewal there's also human evidence which found that elevated levels of these metabolites that are thought to be negative and uh, associated with disturbed gut were associated with reduced skin hydration and reduced size of some of the skin cells as well. So there, there is some evidence, and it, uh, there's a whole bunch more um, uh, studies that I think are quite nuanced, so we have to take this with a pinch of salt, but there is some evidence to suggest that if you have a disturbed gut bacterial population as a result of uh let's say diet but also it could there could be other mechanisms but let's just say you have a disturbed gut it produces bioactive metabolites that can go into your bloodstream and that can have a direct impact on the health of your skin cells so that is one of um the the issues potential issues the other issue (laughs) Uh, again, within the bucket of direct mechanisms by which the gut can impact the skin, is the bacteria themselves that could actually access the bloodstream and affect the skin. Th- this, this for me was like, yeah, r- 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 quite quite groundbreaking. So there was a recent study um, that was published in uh, JAMA Dermatology. So JAMA being one of those high tier papers. 
2015 that found that the DNA of bacterial intestinal origin, so you've got DNA from bacteria that reside in the gut, were found in the blood of patients with psoriasis. So you've got the DNA, a marker of bacteria that usually resides in the gut, found in the blood of patients with psoriasis, which is a, uh, a relatively common skin condition that's characterized by uh, plaques on the skin, uh, very itchy. Um, and it's uh, it's something that we, we do struggle to uh, treat in a lot of cases, and it's thought to have an autoimmune origin. And what these researchers did in this particular paper that I'm referring to, um, the links of which will be, we're gonna put all these on the website, by the way, uh, all the articles and stuff, but they collected blood samples from 54 patients with psoriasis and 27 controls, so relatively small. Um, and they analyzed the samples for these inflammatory chemicals such as interleukins, uh, as well as bacterial DNA. And they found that bacterial DNA was present in a third of patients with psoriasis, whereas all the controls did not have any bacterial DNA in their blood at all. So in some, not the majority, but in some, you found bacterial DNA in the blood of those who had the condition, whereas no one who uh, was in the uh, group where they did not have the condition had bacterial DNA in their blood. So that that's saying that that, that for, for me is, is already, okay, there's something going on here. The systemic inflammatory response was higher in the patients, the third of patients, who had bacterial DNA in their blood compared to the other patients who had psoriasis but didn't have bacterial DNA and obviously the controls as well. So that's showing, again, just looking at this paper in isolation. So I have to you know, confirm that we're just looking at one paper. We haven't got the magnitude of other papers that have conducted this in the same way that would make this a more robust hypothesis or a more robust conclusion. But that's already saying to me, bacterial DNA in those patients who have psoriasis is associated with a worse disease outcome, i.e. higher levels of inflammation. And the bacterial species origin co corresponded with the flora that is commonly found in the intestinal lumen. So again, that, that's just saying the bacteria that you found in the, in the blood is not necessarily, not necessarily abnormal, it's just normally found in in the in the digestive tract is not normally found in the blood of course um so th the conclusion of this paper was that the presence of bacterial dna in the blood might identify a particular subset of patients with a more aggressive course of psoriasis uh and the bacterial dna you know being detected in the blood of patients with psoriasis may have their origin in the intestinal lumen that that for me was was pretty fascinating, and I think this needs to be, if it hasn't already been repeated, to see answer a few outstanding questions: how they how these uh, bacterial DNA might be impacted the skin. Is this a cause or a consequence of uh, of psoriasis in itself? And we're going to find a lot more of this uh, to come, I'm sure. That the way you can sort of conceptualize this is if. Uh, you, if let's say the issues with psoriasis are due to a disrupted gut system, your normal bacteria would erroneously find its way into the bloodstream that could be worsening 
the psoriasis. And if you had uh, more bacterial DNA in your bloodstream, that's associated with a more severe illness. Or the other way you could look at this is, well, if you've got a more aggressive course of uh, psoriasis, that can impact your gut and that can lead to bacteria being in your bloodstream. It doesn't necessarily mean that bacterial DNA in your blood is causing the issue. So there's two ways of looking at it. So I just wanted to remind people, it's not like a, a, an open and shut case, but I thought it was interesting nonetheless. And that's a particular way of thinking that a lot of people are coming around to that, you know, the, the gut can have direct impacts via those metabolites and the uh, bacteria themselves. Okay, so that's the gut. Um, we're going to talk about the other way by which what we eat impacts the skin, and that's through nutrients absorbed in our bloodstream. So vitamin E, omega-3, zinc, they're really important for the functioning of, of skin cells. In addition, different cells can utilize these nutrients. So when I say in addition, I'm just talking about the, the mechanism here. The, the ways in which cells can utilize these nutrients is via nutrient signaling pathways, which simply put is how cells communicate, how they receive, how they process and transmit signals from their environment and within themselves. And that is regulated by the availability of different nutrients, um, nutrients being macronutrients, as well as the micronutrients that I just described, vitamin E, omega-3, zinc, etc. So something that's uh, less controversial so uh, something is pretty generally well accepted is that a diet high in refined carbohydrates and saturated fats could lead to a deficiency in nutrient signaling which is why we see associations between a high gi diet and acne for example so some of these nutrient signaling pathways control the process of lipogenesis the generation of fats in the sebaceous uh, glands of the skin. These are a group of cells that release a fatty substance called sebum to the surface of the skin, and that protects skin against friction and keeps it moist. It, 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 and as you can imagine, it needs to be producing controlled amounts. So again, it's all about balance. Too much or too little can contribute to skin problems such as acne or dry skin or oily skin. So again, all about balance. So the nutrient signaling pathways that are thought to be involved in um, sebum production have long and weird and wonderful names. So I'm just going to go through this bit. So just bear with me for about 30 seconds and hopefully you'll get an idea of what I'm talking about. So high GI diets that are thought to be involved in the production of um, excess sebum, which leads to things like acne. Um, the reason why they're, they're thought to uh, impact acne is through nutrient signaling pathways uh, and nutrient signaling, well, the, the, the factors involved in nutrient signaling. The one that's commonly referred to is called IGF-1 or insulin growth factor. Um, and that, again, through a different number of different cascades where they interact with other molecules with long and weird and wonderful names like metabolic forkhead box transcription factor one and uh, mTOR, which is the mechanistic target of rapamycin, all these things that you don't really need to know. Basically through a number of different uh, 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 elements in this, in this cascade, mediate impact sebaceous gland proliferation. So it, it, it accelerates the production of uh, all those different fats involved in the development of uh, excess sebum, which can contri contribute to acne. 
bear in mind that's just one one mechanism behind it there are multiple different mechanisms and multiple different reasons behind the development of acne in itself so i just wanted to give you an idea of like okay that's how diet can impact uh, your nutrient signaling pathways and a diet that is uh, uh, much higher in whole grains and lower in excess sugar uh, or just lower in sugar in general um, that's one way in which you can uh, harmonize these normal normal attributes of skin function to round off what is like a very complicated subject is the, the a third way which is um something i haven't completely discussed in general which is the the um, gut brain skin axis which is explained in another episode on acne it's uh, episode 122 um, basically psychological stress can impact the gut bacteria to produce different neurotransmitters which are signaling molecules and that can potentially change the permeability of your gut which as we know now can potentially impact your skin as well so basically anything that can disturb your gut barrier can manifest as a skin complaint as well as other complaints as well which is why looking after your gut is so important so there is a third way and that's the psychological way as well so yeah looking at all these different things i don't want to i don't want people to think about these mechanisms in isolation because the likelihood is is that multiple things are at play but we can do a lot by changing our our diet and according to what we know from the the research studies out there it can be relatively simple to do as well okay finally let's actually talk about food now so um the general requirements for healthy skin essential fatty acids they're used by uh which are in the epidermis uh, and it's very important for normal skin balancing function. Variety of vitamins and minerals. So these serve as enzyme cofactors, activators or inhibitants, again, good for normal skin function. Antioxidants, these help counteract the effects of reactive oxygen species, a normal byproduct of exposure to radiation and oxidizing chemicals that we all exposed to as well. That's a general requirement. And hopefully by now, very quick summary, you know that the importance of a diet that's high in fiber and and nutrients to appropriately feed your gut microbes to allow them to perform their function of looking after your your gut uh, barrier integrity as well as your immune system very important and then also those different nutrients to regulate nutrient signaling pathways appropriately and their potential more effect as well but the question i always get are are there specific foods and how can we incorporate those into our diet that can help with skin health uh, generally and maybe even in a in a treatment capacity as well this is this is why we developed the doctor's kitchen app to help make nutritional research applicable to everyday life because when you choose skin health as your health goal in the app you're suggested a selection of different recipes and these are based on specific whole foods nutrients and dietary patterns that have been associated with the prevention or treatment of skin problems and to come up with these ingredients i just want to give you a bit of background here we searched through a a huge database of scientific literature using pubmed and cochrane to identify those studies looking at diet and skin and then we screened each and identified the article for eligibility based on pre-established criteria such as 
a type of study and the population studied and, and w what they were actually looking for as well. And then we analyzed these selected research papers and extracted the results to create a detailed spreadsheet. And that looks at the individual ingredients as well as dietary patterns. And using that, that was the basis for our skin health recipe filter to, to, to um, refine, okay, which recipes out of our huge library of hundreds of different recipes are associated or could be reasonably associated with better skin health. So that that's a, a lot of what we've done uh, in the background as well. And that's just the start for the Doctor's Kitchen app because we, we've got aspirations to personalize it even more using um, uh, even more sort of uh, data from the individual. Um, so you know you're eating according to what would optimize um, uh, your health or your particular health goal um, within reason, you know, there are so many other things that we can do, um, but you know, at least your diet is going to be on point, uh, as much as possible. So, uh, let's, uh, let's start off with the, the dietary principles, uh, or the dietary patterns that are most linked to skin health, um, Mediterranean diet, of course, so I'm just going to say it. So uh, as a quick refresher of what the Mediterranean, Mediterranean diet actually consumes of, uh, what it is well it's a, it is a traditional eating pattern that's found among populations living in the mediterranean basin using during the 50s 60s of the the 20th century and it's characterized by high consumption of natural fats uh namely extra virgin olive oil and nuts a high consumption of minimally processed locally grown vegetables fruits legumes and cereals these are all unrefined or largely unrefined there's a moderate consumption of fish and self shellfish um which uh, that that's actually variable because it depends on their proximity to the sea, um, but that that was you know, the main source of protein. Um, also, moderate consumption of red wine. Everyone always wants to point that out to me. Uh, and the reason why I like the Mediterranean way of eating is because it's palatable. It provides a rich selection of micronutrients and polyphenols. Um, you know, you've got uh, hydroxytyrosol and tyrosol. Uh, oleocanthal from olive oil. We've discussed that at length on another podcast talking all about olive oil. Um, yes, you get like resveratrol from nuts and, and grapes and wine. Uh, all of these uh, have anti-inflammatory properties, which as you can imagine, anything that is high on that dietary inflammatory uh, index, that, that anti-inflammatory score is going to be beneficial for skin uh, issues, particularly if you do have a complaint as well. And it's going to be good for your gut, which is obviously going to be good for a number of different things, including skin. Um, it's also characterized by low consumption of meat and uh, animal products in general. Um, it's you know usually reserved, uh, their meat consumption is usually reserved for special occasions. Uh, and very low consumption of processed foods uh, as well, with the exception of fermented uh, dairy products, uh, aged cheese uh, and yogurt as well. That That's moderate consumption. Um, and the, the other th reason why I like the Mediterranean diet is because it doesn't necessarily need to be Mediterranean flavored. It's just a, it's a principle. It's a, a, a pattern of eating um, where you could apply that using the lens of different cuisines. Um, so it doesn't it could be Indian flavored. It could be uh, flavors from different parts of Africa, East Africa, uh, uh, West Africa. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, uh, Umbrian lentils, 
uh, or radicchio or you know olive oil over uh, wild greens uh, salad it, it can be according to how you want to eat as well um i've already discussed uh why it might be beneficial for uh for, for skin but it's, it's fairly obvious if you've been listening to the first part of this uh, podcast because high adherence to the mediterranean diet is associated with all those different antioxidants including beta carotene retinol which is a, a pre-formed um uh, vitamin a uh, it's got vitamin c and e in because you've got lots of cooked and uncooked vegetables in in those diets you've got high intakes of b vitamins um, and it may benefit the skin by all those different mechanisms that we've described already reducing oxidative damage to uh, the dna increasing your skin's innate ability to neutralize those free radicals also known as uh, reactive oxygen species um, it may even contribute to limiting uh, or alleviating skin photo damage from uv radiation that's actually something that i discussed in my second book eat to be illness about how the your food can have a photoprotective effect um which can reduce uh uh the the issues around premature aging um not better than sunblock and not better than getting out of the sun or limiting your sun exposure particularly during periods of the day where you there's more radiation but interesting nonetheless and i i i think it's quite a niche opinion on diet and skin because um what these ingredients have demonstrated is a photoprotective effect but we don't necessarily think about that um you know we, we, especially in australia it's like uh i forget the i forget the saying now but it's like a slip slap slop or something like that it's, it's all a you know focus towards uh getting out the sun and putting on sunblock but actually your, your diet could have an additive effect how much i, I can't really quantify but a little bit at least i know that the mediterranean diet is also associated with um, low intakes of saturated fat and high intakes of your omega-3 polyunsaturated fats that you get largely from um, fish but you do get small amounts in nuts and seeds and olive oil as well and they that that might benefit the skin by regulating inflammation and balancing the production of fats from these sebaceous glands that we referred to earlier the other way is you know it's, it's very low and refined in refined uh, grains and excess sugar so that's going to be appropriately um uh it's, it's going to be causing appropriate nutrient signaling um there are some results from observational studies that show that a greater adherence to the mediterranean diet was associated with reduction in inflammatory factors such as c-reactive protein and other interleukins and um as an aside uh, chronic inflammation is linked to various skin problems including cancer in fact there was a study um, uh, looking at the mediterranean dietary pattern and skin cancer risk from the american journal of clinical uh, uh, clinical nutrition 2019 um, and researchers analyzed data from uh, it was almost 100,000 french women born between 1925 and 1950 uh, as part of another study that's what they were recruited for uh, and this prospective cohort study uh, were involved to to answer the question around skin cancer and diet um, and, and bear in mind this is an observational study it's one of the lowest uh, in terms of the hierarchy of evidence um, but what they found is that highest score of adherence to the Mediterranean diet was associated with a significantly re re 
reduced uh, risk of skin cancer. And when you look at those individual components of the Mediterranean diet that we just discussed, you can you can understand that it's not just about the individual nutrients, it's about the cumulative effect and the synergistic effects of multiple different foods um, that can have uh, a beneficial effect on skin health in general. Um, so yeah, it, looking at patterns of eating the dietary pattern, anything that can uh, align with the Mediterranean diet uh, is certainly something that you could appropriately associate with uh, a skin health goal as well. Let's move on to specific nutrients. Um, so when I say nutrients, we're talking about uh, like specific uh, micronutrients themselves. Omega-3 fatty acids that I've already mentioned. There's actually mixed evidence. Um, and we're very we're very forward thinking when it comes to the, the the mixed evidence. And we want to be as transparent as possible, which is why we've included our sources uh, on the doctorskitchen.com where even if there is counter evidence, we do want to include it in our discussion because we don't want to shy away and just cherry pick. We want to look at all the various um, uh, sources of evidence and make a balanced uh, decision uh, based on pragmatism. Um, so just as a primary, omega-3 is a polyunsaturated fatty acid. It comes in various forms. You've got the short chain uh, LA and ALA, which is linoleic acid and alpha linoleic acid. And you've got the long chain, which is EPA and DHA, um, which is, uh, oh, I, I always forget the names, but it's like uh, eicosapentaenoic acid. DHA is dexahexanoic acid. You might have to check that. But DHA and EPA, um, you'll find those in oily fish. Um, you'll find it in some algae-based supplements, but largely it has to be converted into EPA and DHA, which we don't do very well, which is why it always bugs me a bit where you'll see a plant-based product labeled as, with the exception of algae supplements, labeled as high in omega-3, but actually it's just high in omega-3, which is the short chain or the long chain, and you want to get the long chain, EPA and DHA. And they're, they're considered essential fatty acids because they cannot be synthesized by humans. Um, they The reason why omega-3 fatty acids are important for skin is because they form components of skin cells and they're involved in the control of, of various cellular functions by regulating inflammation as well. They also act on a variety of immune cells. So they, they suppress immune cell migration, which is which is good, particularly if you do have an issue with an overramped immune system that could be causing the skin problems in in the in the first place. So they infl they, they actually influence the production of inflammatory signal molecules, they regulate the expression of proteins related to inflammations. Uh, inflammation, they, they uh, activate and, and, and inhibit toll-like receptors, which again are involved in the immune system um, process. So yeah, very, very important generally to get omega-3 fatty acids into our diet. And you can do that via supplements or via diet, and I choose both. Um, and uh, yes, that, that, that they there is a suggestion that they're involved in UV radiation and and thought to be photoprotective macronutrients, i.e., larger molecules with beneficial effects on UV radiation. But you know, there's only so much that you can do with diet in terms of protecting ourselves from radiation. The research, like I suggested at the start, is suggesting mixed results for their impact on skin, skin conditions. So there was a study looking at omega-3 fatty acid supplementation, and they I'm just going to give you the very uh, top-end summary here rather than go to all the details, but that reduced 
psoriasis severity. That was in 2019. That was a positive result. Um, and then another study where fish oil supplements were used had no effects on the severity of psoriasis. That was Yang et al. in 2019. Again, the same year that the other study that I just mentioned um, uh, suggested a positive result. Um, the There was a meta-analysis uh, of uh, a meta-analysis sounds really impressive, like, oh, all these studies and and uh, and it showed this uh, general effect and it was significant or whatever. Um, actually, meta-analyses, it really depends on what you put in the meta-analyses, just as a as a um, uh, refresher. Meta-analysis is where you combine the results of multiple different studies looking at the same uh, uh, question and hopefully using the same methodology as well. But what you'll find, especially if you're scraping the barrel for studies, is that they'll use a mixture of all these different types of studies uh, in their analysis, sometimes not using the same methodology, sometimes very, very poorly conducted as well. So it really depends on what you put in. And this meta-analysis is a good example of that. I only had three studies used in it with a, with a, a total of 337 participants. So again, very, very small. Um, and they found that fish oil supplements had no effects on the severity of psoriasis. So what do you do with these results? There's only so much that you can do. Using a pragmatic approach, I think omega-3 is a very important um, uh, uh, component of the diet. There are some benefits uh, for cardio cardiovascular health, um, brain health as well. And so, you know, it, it's not something that I would um, I would uh, omit just because it's not good or hasn't been shown in current studies to be beneficial for skin health. I think there's definitely a lot more to find out about omega-3 in general. Um, so yeah, getting it getting it into the diet as much as possible and uh, and even supplementing would be something that I would, uh, I, I suggest. Other minerals, zinc, an essential mineral, we have to consume it from food. It's found in nuts and seeds. It's also found in things like eggs, um, seafood, meat, sea, seeds like pumpkin seeds, sunflower seeds, sesame seeds, nuts like pecans, cashews, almonds. Very, very important um, uh, mineral micronutrients. It supports the normal function of skin cells, regulates inflammation. As you can tell, inflammation is going to be a recurring theme uh, in this episode and many more coming forward. Um, it could actually uh, be involved in the regulation of our adaptive and innate immune responses by reducing neutrophil um, uh, chemotaxis. Chemotaxis is the movement of those cells, uh, which is a fancy word for movement, um, inhibiting, or it, I'm not going to just say the names here, but inhibiting T helper cell activity. That basically uh, is about immune tolerance. So making sure that you don't have an overly active immune system um, and a whole bunch of other things impacting a number of different cells that there's no point talking about because it's it's hard to conceptualize on a podcast and it's just confusing. So the the evidence around zinc uh, is is interesting as well. So there was a 2019 study. Um, it was a systematic review of all the literature combining 22 studies, and they found that supplementation with zinc was beneficial for acne and. Uh, another condition called hydrodenitis superativa, um, but remained unclear for other skin conditions. So generally what we know about zinc is that it's easily found in the diet. That's the first thing. And it potentially does have an impact on uh, your immune system and the correct functioning of your immune system. Um, and supplementation was shown to be uh, potentially beneficial as well. Um, there are a number of different limitations of all these different studies, including 
various methodologies and the the dosing and zinc formulations and and how comparable they all these studies are and stuff so that's just something you have to you bring into your thinking about this which is why i'm not a big fan of supplementing individual uh, uh micronutrients with with some exceptions like omega-3 for example um the majority of what we talk about through the lens of of uh nutritional supplemental stu- supplemental studies can be uh, found in the diet and there are so many other attributes of a healthy diverse balanced diet um that it's it's hard to ignore Another interesting ingredient, green tea, uh, probably attributed to the catkins, which is one of the polyphenols you find in green tea. It's been shown to reduce inflammation and potentially beneficial for uh, skin uh, issues as a result of UV radiation. Uh, So again, another potential photoprotective effect. Um, All right, let's move on from supplements and look at whole foods because there's a whole bunch of different supplements that have been tested like flavonoid supplements, um, vitamin C and E and stuff. And they all have relatively mixed results. And I, and I think they're less interesting because you can find good amounts of those in, uh, in, in the diet with the exception of vitamin D. Um, fruit contains a wide variety of different vitamins and ph- photonutrients that enter the bloodstream to feed our organs and, and tissues. It contains all these different things like flavonoids, carotenoids, as well as your traditional essential micronutrients like A, C and E. How nutrients impact the the skin? Well, nourishing the skin barrier, the skin, uh, the um, uh, gut barrier, I should say, regulating inflammation. Several nutrients and fruits can serve as um, something called methyl donors. These are chemicals that impact the expression of our genes, so not changing the sequence of your genes, but changing the way they function. This is the whole concept of epigenetics that we've talked about in in, in previous podcasts. Um, so that can actually prevent the expression of inflammatory genes as well. And that's been shown uh, by uh, the consumption of different fruits and vegetables, but fruit is as well. Ultimately, all these different things reduce inflammation. As as an aside, I think it's an important point to pause on for a second because with nutrition and certainly online, you'll, you'll see people demonizing particular foods by looking at it through the lens of a particular characteristic, i.e., its impact on glucose levels. And whilst I think that's interesting to note that, you know, um, this particular ingredient causes a spike in glucose, it doesn't necessarily mean that you should never eat it because the way in which you eat said ingredient, whether you've had a meal before, whether you're eating it on an empty stomach, whether you're combining it with something else, that has uh, an impact on uh, things like glucose levels, as well as all the other impacts it can have as well on nutrient signaling. So it's it's really important that you shouldn't detract from uh, the you shouldn't detract the positive effects uh, from one particular ingredient just because of one singular quote unquote negative impact. Um, I, and I think glucose, as much as I think continuous glucose monitors are going to revolutionize personalized nutrition it's just something to bear in mind because I, I i do say that quite often um and uh you know we, we don't give as much attention to the other things that are less tangible like the reduction in oxidative stress the suppression of inflammation the impact on gene function which are you know it's it, it's less um well, it's less you can't see that <laughs> um and then obviously, yeah, the other ways you've got nourishing the gut barrier, re- regulating inflammation, and then reducing oxidative stress as well, because 
fruits and vegetable all fruits uh, they have vitamin a c and e and those help our antioxidant defense systems uh, they reduce those oxidative species and they protect the skin from cellular damage from the free radical uh, excess of free radicals there is a potential fourth way by which fruit can impact the skin and that's via uh, promoting collagen synthesis um so potentially because of its uh vitamin c and vitamin e and, and other essential micronutrients uh, that are important for the, the, the structural components and, and putting all the uh, collagen uh, pieces together. Um, but uh, yeah, more, more information on that, I think, needs to come through because I, I believe it's also due to um, making sure that you've got uh, adequate levels of protein in your diet, which you can get from a, uh, a largely uh, plant-based diet and a Mediterranean diet, essentially. There's a number of different studies that shown though that that showed the association between high fruit intake and uh, lowered risk of various uh, issues, including seborrheic dermatitis. But we're not going to go into those because I think um, the observational nature of them limits them. And by now, I think you're you're definitely getting the impression about okay, you need to eat your fruits and vegetables. Um, kale and cruciferous vegetables. I do want to talk about specifically. There's a really lovely. Uh, study looking at why these might be impactful. Um, kale being a cruciferous vegetable, it contains a variety of different phyto uh, phytonutrients. Glucoraphanin, which is a precursor to sulforaphane, which has, has, uh, has had a lot of attention recently as being quite a powerful anti-inflammatory molecule. They also contain things like flavonoids, uh, such as quercetin and, and camphorol. Um, carotenoid like beta carotene and lutein vitamin c and k dietary fiber these are all released in the bloodstream following digestion they all act on a variety of different targets and they all also contribute to a healthy microbiota so you can see the 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 multifactorial ways in which having these different types of ingredients into your diet can enhance the production of different skin components like collagen and hyaluronic acid, improve the skin uh, homeostasis, improve the immune system so it's tolerant and not overactive, uh, and may even reduce dryness and other skin problems as well. Um, there was a, an, a, a really interesting Japanese study looking at the effect of kale intake on participants with skin dryness. So this, this was interesting. There were two studies uh, conducted by the same team, a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled parallel group study. So randomized being before the study, independent researcher assigns the participants to different groups using a computer-generated code. So they're selected by chance. And the reason why you do that is to reduce bias. It's double-blinded. I uh, don't know how they did this, but um, they, blind, they blinded uh, the... Uh, researchers involved in the experiment as well as the um, people themselves um, so they had a, a kale uh, extract and then had a placebo extract so there was it was blinded in that way um, and they gave this to it was a small study uh, 44 healthy Japanese women aged between 30 and 60 uh, and they were randomly assigned to either take the kale or the placebo and it was over 12 weeks and what they measured was validated by skin moisture content, transepidermal water loss, color difference, and the visual judgment by a medical specialist and using something called a visual analog scale. So they use pretty robust measures of uh, how you would see any improvements in skin. And after 12 weeks, what they found was that the participants eating 
kale that had uh, um actually i should should mention it had a recognized 20 milligrams of glucoraphanin uh in in the in the kale intervention um and that's something that you find naturally in kale for 12 weeks increased their skin moisture content reduced their skin dryness compared to the placebo group so there was um that, that was quite an interesting outcome and the same study group did an in vitro study trying to figure out what the potential mechanisms were and what they found is that glucoraphanin and sulforaphane which is another component of cruciferous vegetables significantly enhanced their capacity to produce collagen and hyaluronic acid so these are um uh, the the components of uh, skin that people are buying and uh, slapping onto the skin and, and all the rest of it. We, we don't really have great evidence for the effectiveness of that, but it seems that you can you can potentially enhance your the innate production of it by having cruciferous vegetables. Again, lots of limitations of this study, uh, lots of things that we still need to find answers for. Interesting nonetheless. I think it's uh, really interesting. And that's actually why um, we have kale as one of our um, contributing skin health recipes. Um, that's definitely something we want to we want to do more of. Moving on, we've got uh, lingonberry and amla fruit. Um, this is one for the Swedes and Indians. Why might it help with skin? Well, lingonberries contain things like flavonoids, uh, resveratrol, quercetin, catkin, epicatkin, cumeric acid, as well as other polyphenols as well. And uh, amla um, contains, which is uh, uh, sour mango. Um, you usually find it in powders. Um, and it's um, you can find it in certain supermarkets now. It's got a very, it's got a very distinctive tang, uh, almost like a tamarind. And it's, uh, it, it's delicious. It, it gives that a lovely, wonderful element to curries. Um, it, it, that contains phenolic acids, gallic acid, galogen, uh, uh, vitamin C, uh, as well as a whole bunch of other polyphenols. It, rem it It's pretty unclear exactly how these components contribute to the effects on skin. However, the suggestion is that because they're so high in different polyphenols, they exert their antioxidant effect um, and that can uh, impact cellular damage and inflammation. Um, they may be able to, again, assist in the production of collagen, um, which by now everyone knows contributes to skin elasticity and something that generally degrades with age. They may uh, also promote the production of something called NMFs, natural moisturizing factors, or hyaluron in the keratinocytes and dermal fibroblast, um, fancy word for some of the uh, cells that you find in that layer of the skin. And that regulates the water content um, and uh, improves skin moisture. So again, some other mechanisms similar to kale. Interesting nonetheless, uh, it's, the evidence uh, showing is, um, is quite interesting. There was a study, intervention study on 99 healthy participants. You're getting the impression that all these studies are small and they are. Um, and the effects on lingonberry and alum, uh, amla fruit extract on skin conditions was examined. I don't know why they combined them. Um, maybe they were just looking at very high polyphenol content um, uh, ingredients, but I just thought it was a, a bit strange um, that they they combine them because, from a culinary point of view, I don't think they would. I mean, they're, they're both quite sour, I guess. But yeah. Anyway, um, twelve week study again. Two groups received uh, drinks containing different doses of lingonberry and amla, and the other was a placebo. It was double blinded in the same way as the Japanese study. 
um, and uh, they had different uh, um, amounts in uh, three different arms. So they had a 25 milligram uh, lingonberry and 30 milligram amla uh, fruit intervention. They had uh, a drink containing double the volume of the same extract, so double those amounts. And then the third one was a placebo. And what they measured was elasticity, skin thickness, um, water content, and the degree of wrinkles as well. Um, and what they found was that the interventions uh, improved outcomes across all those different uh, measures. So skin elasticity, skin thickness, water content, and the degree of wrinkles uh, all, all improved and were significantly higher in both the experimental groups with the single and double doses of those two ingredients and the control group. Importantly, these results were actually replicated, um, which is which is pretty major actually. Um, a previous study uh, by the same team found that the skin elasticity improved after eight weeks of the the combination drink intake. So this was actually a replicate a replication of uh, a study, although it was the same center. So that that is a limitation. Uh, in the present study, they found that it was dose dependent. So the higher group had a better outcome than the single dose group. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I mean, with all these things that you have to take them with a pinch of salt or a pinch of amla. Um, and uh, I, I think it, it's important to note the, the limitations, but also it's exciting because there isn't much of this stuff being done. Uh, it's quite hard to scrape the the academic literature to find it. And when you do and you find results like this, it raises your eyebrows, as it should do you as well. Um, what we can what we can take from this, aside from going out and getting lingonberry and amla supplements, um, is it's likely due to the combination of high polyphenol ingredients. And it provides evidence of the stronger effect of nutrient combinations rather than individual effects. And I think, first of all, the individual effects need to be clarified in future studies, but it shows that if you do include high nutrient-dense ingredients into your diet, whether that be through drinks or whether it be through delicious recipes that you can find on the Doctor's Kitchen app, that, that's a way of improving all these different parameters, aside from having to you know spend money on expensive supplements. So just uh, just from a an interest point of view hopefully this does pique your interest because there are ways in which we can naturally include these uh, components into our diet with the uh, intention of not just improving skin character skin um uh skin health but also other elements of health as well other fruits in that in that vein uh, that would have similar nutritional values are things like berries, blackberries, blueberries, green tea, spices. So, you know, I don't want to suggest that you can only get this effect from lingonberries and amla. I think it's reasonable to assume you can potentially get similar effects in other food products with high polyphenol concentrations. And we've actually done a lot of the research looking at all the different types of polyphenols that you find. We've extracted that data from sources like Phenol Explorer, which is the world's, or at least Europe's biggest um, uh, plant chemical database on various ingredients. And we use that information, that rich source of information to uh, look and, and, and clarify which ingredients have the highest amount. And then we, we make recipes from those as well. So you you know you won't find an amla or lingonberry recipe unfortunately on the uh, on, on the app, but 
you'll find lots of other more accessible ingredients that you can find to your diet. Um, we're going to talk finally about fermented dairy products such as yogurt. So fermented products, just as a refresher, contain probiotics, which are live organisms, which when administered in adequate amounts can confer a health benefit to the host. That's the definition of what a probiotic has to adhere by for it to be labeled a probiotic. Um, and there are certain uh, microbes like Saccharomyces boulardii, um, Lactobacilli, Bifidobacteria, all, all these different types that have got recognized status within the EU as being probiotic. So when you when you put those into a product, you can reasonably label it as a uh, probiotic. Um, how might they help promote the skin? Uh, I, I feel like you're going to be able to give the answer here. Promoting good intestinal health, uh, which regulates the gut skin axis, which is the main way that most people believe probiotic foods uh, can impact um positively uh, your skin health um we now understand these indirect and direct pathways that we discussed earlier um but also they may pr- uh, promote the production of ceramides these are uh, specific lipids or, or fats wa- wa- waxy f- uh, uh, fats that trap moisture in the skin um we also know that it potentially reduces inflammation as well i.e um dairy products and their impact on intestinal permeability mediating major immune components so keeping the uh, your immune system in harmony uh, and reducing um, uh, the penetration of products in your gut that should be in your gut and not in your blood uh, bloodstream as well um, all of these different functions and attributes of probiotic uh, products uh, such as yogurt um, all help maintain skin fu- function there is um there are some studies uh, are some studies looking at uh the relationship between fermented dairy products in particular and skin health um there was a systematic review looking at uh, the results of three different studies again small amounts looking at the relationship between fermented products and skin health and they uh, found that uh the consumption of fermented dairy products were uh associated with uh better skin so again limitations lots of limitations in everything that i'm talking about but you can find probiotics in kefir miso fermented beverages sauerkraut kimchi um overall we're going to do another um podcast all about fermented foods and in, in another health goal section but health, fermented foods are one to get into your diet generally i think the net positive despite the lack of robust robust evidence is uh is pretty clear so I'll, i want to end this podcast now in uh, in full transparency by pointing out that after looking through all these studies and all these mechanisms nutritional medicine can be vague and we can only do the best with what we have um we, we are we're obstructed by me, by studies with poor methodology uh which make it harder to critically assess the research there's obviously the the elephant in the room which is the lack of studies the lack of funding for studies there is uh, also a lack of diversity in population studies you know we, we talked on the podcast about how a, a lot of the research is conducted on non-generalizable populations with a particular um, reference to people of uh, ethnic minorities as well and that's you know i don't think we've got a single study that looks at a non-caucasian population of uh of, of 
various age groups, um, which is a shame because I think, again, in an era of personalized medicine, which is what we're going to be moving toward, we, we definitely need to have those foundational studies to make accurate hypotheses because we are, we are different in lots of different ways. Um, so how applicable are these results to the wider population? I'm not too sure. I can't say that with any certainty. Um, but I, I believe that what we eat and how intuitive we can be about what we eat um, is generalizable. So yes, uh, I, I think given the limitations, we, we have an idea, uh, but the future does require a little bit more um, diversity in the, in, the, in the way we do research. The, uh, the use of questionnaires to assess dietary intake comes with many limitations. And unfortunately, a lot of the uh, studies that we, we look at are observational in nature, which means they, they're self-reported, uh, the participants self-evaluate. And if you've ever tracked your own meals, you, you'll probably be aware that you under-report what you consume. And that's, it's quite a well-recognized phenomena with uh, food questionnaires, they're, they're fantastically inaccurate. Um, and most studies also looking at the health goal, in particular skin health, uh, most studies look at skin conditions, which, which limits how much we can attribute these kind of dietary principles to normal skin health. Um, so the skin health goal is not necessary to treat a skin condition, it's to optimize your skin health, which I believe actually is the way we, we do treat skin conditions is by giving uh, the, the, the foundational factors for your skin to look after itself uh, rather than having to treat it in the same way we would use a pharmaceutical. Food, food in my mind, is not equivalent to a pill and, and neither should it be seen of that. It's more of a mechanism of, of enhancing your own defense systems. That, that's just one element of it as well. And even when you look at meta-analyses, uh, the the higher tiers of research, if you compare it to observational, um, if you get a mixture of different method, methods and a mixture of different uh, um, ways and, or questions that they were trying to answer, it's very hard to generalize and it's they can be pretty useless, which is why we, we chucked out a lot. We, we you know, Half the stuff we haven't even discussed. Um, so you're probably asking yourself, what was the point? <laughs> is this is this still relevant or is it a waste of time? I think so. I think it provides a foundation for future research. I think it indicates what we can do right now. And I think it's, it's a good guideline on what to eat blended with plausible mechanisms and common sense. And it's interesting to note that this is potentially how things are working in your body to optimize various aspects of health. Um, and this the skin health goal, I think, is... Um, it's great because I'm, I'm always asked about that. And the way we created recipes, we compiled all those nutrients and whole food recommendations extracted from the research into this big spreadsheet. And then to ensure each recipe met the recommendations, we generate that formula to either validate or reject the ingredients as to whether it's aligned with these criteria. So you know, this amount of detail, that's how we we we, we we label the the recipes as either skin health friendly or something else friendly. Um, each recipe, we actually enter the ingredient amounts into this into this spreadsheet, and we check whether they're actually beneficial for skin health according to these uh, pre-established criteria. So we're we're dragging out the opinion um, of what someone might look at and say, oh yeah, that that's good for skin health because it contains a bit of blackberries and we're actually looking at the amounts and actually like, no, th this needs to go up or 
uh, we actually have to include something else to, to make sure that it aligns with the Mediterranean diet um, uh, a tool that we have. Um, so this removal of personal biases and opinions from whether we think something should be good for skin health, if the algorithm says it is, then it is, and vice versa. Um, and this ensures that the recipes in the app are using an evidence-based uh, uh, approach. Uh, and also, notwithstanding the fact that we want to create flavorful, practical recipes for everyday meals um, to ensure you meet your nutrient needs and support the function of your skin. So all we want this to do is provide a foundation for further research so we can further personalize our simple algorithm. And one day it'll be able to tailor specifically to your needs based on preferences as well, which you can do already. But we also want to introduce other sorts of um, investigations, gut microbiota testing, genetic uh, investigations, activity monitors, even responses to food like blood sugar, inflammation, as well as the subjective scores of well-being. And don't forget about taste. Taste is so, so important. And I think a lot of a lot of other apps, um, well, there aren't other apps doing what we're doing, but I think a lot of people don't really think about the, the pleasurable aspect of eating as being super important for psychological well-being as well as physical well-being as well. So some of the skin health recipes you can find in the app include berry granolas made from scratch using nuts and seeds, high in vitamin E, zinc, vitamin C. Um, there's one pot stews with cruciferous vegetables. There's beautiful warming spices and healthy fats to help the absorption of those fat-soluble vitamins. Uh, and there's lots of crossover with all these different health goals. So what's good for your skin is likely going to be good for your brain, your heart health, and even mental well-being. So you might see a combination of different health goals that align with the recipes that you're choosing through the um, uh, through through the app that align with like brain health and mental health as well. I'm going to wrap it up here. We've talked a long time. Well, I've talked a long time about all these different things. So I really hope you found today's podcast uh, educational, maybe entertaining. Who knows? Um, I don't think it was that funny. And uh, I hope it gives you an idea of the complexity and the magnitude of nutrition as well as what we're trying to achieve with the app too. So we're going to be doing deep dives into all the health goals over the next couple of weeks. And if you have suggestions of other areas, we'd love to hear about them as well. Uh, and I think the main idea is to give you an understanding of the complexity and the interconnectedness of the human body and nutrition, why it's so powerful, uh, how food can be used as preventative and supportive medicine. Remember, you can check out the app. It's at the top of the uh, show notes here you can download it for free there's a seven day free trial uh, love your opinions on it share it with your friends and join the journey because we are going to be making this better and better and it's our sincere goal to make sure it is the best app that you have on your phone thanks a lot and i will see you here next time Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.